Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. I want to ask you to do two things at the beginning of this message. First, if you have a Bible, would you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. You can follow along on the screens, my left and right. The second thing I want to ask you to do is a little bit different. Okay, so it's going to stretch some of you, but it's not abnormal. All right? At any point during this message, when you hear me use the words or say the phrase, he is risen, I'd like to ask you to respond by saying he is risen indeed. All right? So let's practice right now. Okay? He is risen. Holla at your boy. Okay. All right. Y'all are awake. You got your espresso. Let's practice one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay. Obviously, today being Resurrection Sunday, we must talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a very, very important chapter of Scripture as it relates to Resurrection Sunday, and it helps to kind of summarize this so important message and it will frame, this chapter will frame our conversation today. First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words starting in verse three. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the translation. I gave you the most important message I could. Here's the message. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared, this is the fourth major step, he appeared to Cephas, great name by the way. If you like creativity and you don't want your child to be named anything else you've ever heard before, go with Cephas. That'll get their attention. First Jesus appeared to Cephas after he was raised to life. Then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, at the point which Paul was writing this, some of those whom Jesus had appeared to had already died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Okay, notice it's not just the message of the gospel, isn't just about the death, burial, and resurrection, it's also that he appeared. Jesus appeared to many to confirm that which he had just done, conquered hell and death, okay? So he was buried, he, was, uh, he, he died, he was buried, he was raised alive on the third day, and then he appeared to many. Now, on Easter weekend, we do a lot of talking about the cross. Many of us wear cross necklaces or a cross chain or have a cross on our keychain, or some of us have cross tattoos and, and, and that's all fine and good. But you, we must understand without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Some of you think that's heresy. It's not. Many have died throughout human history on a cross, but what separates Jesus from everyone else who was crucified on a cross is he's the only one who got up after it. The only one. Without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. Look at verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ is not risen, 
then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. There's another way to say this. Faith in an unresurrected Christ is pointless. The resurrection was the necessary completion of the work accomplished on the cross. The resurrection of Jesus secures the effects God intended the death of Jesus to have for every believer in Jesus. And that is the reason why this message is entitled, Because He Lives. Because He Lives. And I'm going to give you three major effects the resurrection can have on your life. Because He Lives. Point number one, because He Lives, I can live forever. Now, I personalize these points, not because we're talking about me, because I want you to personalize them. Because he lives, you can live forever. Now, let me give you a brief overview of the ability to live with no end. God has no end. He has no beginning, therefore he has no end. Man was created in the image of God, which therefore means in the beginning when man was created, he was created with the ability to live with no end. Then centered the picture. The Bible says that the wage of sin or the consequence of sin is death, which therefore means when man and woman sinned, they lost their ability to live without end. But God who is rich in mercy and grace, sent his one and only begotten son to live a perfect life on this earth on my behalf, went all the way to the cross to die a gruesome death in my place, was buried in the tomb for three days, and then on the third day raised to life again, all so Jesus could utter the words he speaks in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to what he says. He says this, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Understand something, Jesus is the only one who can say of himself, he is risen. See, some of y'all at first were like, is Jesus saying this or is Preston saying this right now? Because he said, repeat it after he says it, but Jesus was saying it, that's right. And then Jesus amends himself in Revelation 1.18. Now you know you are preaching a good message when you amen yourself. Jesus says, amen, he is risen. And he says, and I have the keys of Hades, hell and death. One of the things I love that Peter says in Acts 2.24, he says, it was impossible for death to keep Jesus down. That, that's just, that, that's competitive fighting words right there. Death might seem powerful, but Jesus has more power than death. He conquered it. Now, why is it important that Jesus would say I have the keys to hell and death. What does that even mean? Well, think about it like this. Keys equal authority. Let me explain. At my house, I have a key to my house. And you don't have a key to my house. Why? Because in my house, I have a measure of authority you don't have. Let's flip it to the other side of the coin. At your house. You have a key to your house that I don't have. Why don't I have such a key? Because in your house, you have a measure of authority I don't have. Keys equal authority. Now, why is this important to you personally? I'll tell you. That Jesus has the key to hell 
means he alone can keep you out of it forever. That Jesus holds the key to death means he can keep you away from it forever. So when Jesus, and, and I've said this before, if you come to this church, you know I'm intensely competitive and I get it from my heavenly father, I'm convinced of it. Because all throughout the Bible, God, Jesus, and many by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit make these competitively, sarcastically divine statements to just rub things in Satan's face. This is one such statement. When Jesus says, listen, cupcake, this is Preston's paraphrase, listen, cupcake, I now hold because I was dead and raised to life again. I now hold the keys to hell and death. How about them apples? Again, Preston's paraphrase. I can live forever because Jesus holds the keys to hell and death. This is what makes Christianity different than all the other religions on the earth. Jesus was the only one who called his shot and pulled it off. I once heard someone say, anybody who predicts their own death and predicts their own coming back to life, their own resurrection, we should probably listen to whatever they have to say. Jesus is the only one who said, I'm going to die. But after three days, I'm going to be raised to life again. Jesus' resurrection marks the first time in history that someone rose from the dead never to die again. Now notice, I said the first time. It's not the last time someone will be raised from the dead to never die again. Let me show it to you. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, now in verse 19. If our hope in Christ, speaking to believers, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, in other words, if our hope in Jesus is not forever, but only for now, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. What's this mean? He is risen. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, that means we're in sin, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Let me sum up these verses right here. When I was born again, when I was born, it was the beginning of the end. The Bible says I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. I had a death sentence when I was born of my earthly mother. But when I was born of my heavenly father, when I was born again, it was the beginning of forever. That was the beginning. We don't begin living eternal life once we die. In God's kingdom, we begin living eternal life when we give our life to Jesus. John 3.36, Jesus says, whoever believes has eternal life. Not will get, has. So when you feel yourself getting frustrated with the temporal nature of this earth, understand what God is saying to every one of his children in response. Relax. It's not as temporary as it seems for you because our forever together has already begun. Our forever together has already 
begun. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 describes what this forever together is going to be like. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. When people hear the phrase eternal life, they think about the quantity, when they should probably think even more about the quality. They think about eternal life being a life with no end, a quantity which is immeasurable, but one of the most amazing things about the eternal life that Jesus gives is that the quality of its life is even better than the quantity of its life. That's what we just read. We can't even wrap our minds around what forever together is gonna be like. Because he lives, I can live forever. Point number two, because he lives, I can be justified before God. No, it's a big word. No, it's a theological word. Let's use scripture to explain it. Romans chapter four, verse 25 says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. Okay, now let's go to the New Living Translation and see, it kind of helps us understand what this legal term justification means. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. The word justification means to make someone right with God. Now, let me give you a brief overview of man's standing before God. God is perfect. He does not have the ability to sin. It's not just that he knows no sin. Because God is perfect, he is not capable of sinning. Man was created in the image of God. Which therefore means when man was created, he was created with the ability to not know sin. But here's the problem. The difference between God and man, God can't. Man, given the choice. And what happened? Man and woman chose to sin. And what happened? The moment Adam and Eve sinned, there was a relational barrier that went up between God and man. They were separated. You know what spiritual death is? Eternal separation from God. You know what spiritual, eternal life is? Eternal fellowship with God. The moment man sinned, there was a relational separation between God and man. Adam and Eve were walking in the garden with unbridled fellowship between them and God. And then they sinned and they lost that. But God, who is rich in mercy and grace, sent his one and only begotten son to live a perfect life on this earth on my behalf. Went all the way to the cross to die a gruesome death in my place. Was buried in the tomb for three days. And on the third day was raised to life again. Why? so that Jesus could give me right standing with the Father relationally forever. To tear down the relational barrier between me and God as a result of my sin. A billion dollar question, what does that mean right now? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Job that right now, Satan himself is standing before God. And he is accusing me of my sin. That's what the Bible says. He's accusing me and every believer in Jesus. 
every time I sin. But I want to show you at the very same time, right now, here's what's happening. Here's what Jesus is doing. Because you, you may be someone who's never been to church before. And so you hear Jesus died. He was buried. He was raised to life again. And you might be asking the question, but what's he doing now? Let me show you one of the very important things Jesus is doing right now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we all do, we, believers, have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. This word advocate literally means defense attorney. Every believer in Jesus has a defense attorney before the throne of God. So get the picture. Satan's accusing. Then there's an advocate, the defense attorney. But who's the advocate? He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Okay, think about this right now. And we'll personalize this about me, but it's true about you if you're a believer in Jesus. Right now. Satan is accusing me of my sin to the Father. He's using God's words against him. Judge, God is the perfect judge. Judge, look what Preston just did. There he goes again. He sinned. You know what that means. You're the one who said the wages of sin, death. He's going to be eternally separated from you. That's it. He did it. He screwed it up. That's how Satan is accusing every believer in Jesus. At the very same time, Jesus, the risen Savior, is sitting at the right hand of the Father advocating for me. And this is what Jesus is doing. Ah, 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 ah. Judge, I'd like to present the evidence in Preston's favor. Preston received what I did for him. I took all of his sin upon myself on that cross. I died the death he should have died. And because he received what I did in taking his sin, the Father has placed in Preston's account my, Jesus is saying, perfect righteousness. So judge, here's what this means, and I would like the prosecuting attorney to hear my lips as I speak these words. Preston's hand is in mine, and I hold the keys to hell and death, which therefore means because he holds my hand, he will stay out of hell and will never be separated from the Father. He will be in perfect relationship with the Father forever and ever and ever. This is what's happening right now. I have an advocate. Every believer in Jesus has an advocate. And let me just tell you something about your advocate. He's never lost the case. Don't you love a winner? I'm a Cowboys fan. We don't win. <laughs> I, I, this, I think God does that on purpose so that I will just really appreciate the fact he never loses because my team always does. Our advocate has never lost the case. Because he lives, I can have right standing relationally with the God of the universe forever. Here's what that means. That when I've done something terrible and I'm ashamed of it and the accuser is saying, and rightfully so, look what he's done. He's terrible. He's awful. My advocate is saying to the father, 
It's been washed in the blood and the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, lift up your head and go boldly into his presence because it's been paid for. You are not guilty. You have right standing. Go on in. He's been waiting for you because he lives. I can have right standing with God. And Romans 5.10 says, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Point number three, because he lives, I can be born again. First Peter chapter one, verse three says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Speaking of believers in Jesus, they are born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You see how important the resurrection is to the life of the believer? I cannot be born again unless Jesus is raised to life again. So let me just say, this is yet another reason why. I am grateful he is risen. Well, listen, that was weak right there. We're to the part where if you're a believer in Jesus... Your old dead life is over and you've been granted new life with him in unbridled fellowship when all things are made new because he lives. If Jesus would have stayed in that tomb, he would merely be a decomposing body of a Jewish carpenter turned rabbi but he is risen. risen Now, one of the things, much better by the way, you're much better. One of the things that that I wanna show you, because there are many things that happen when we're born again, and I don't have time to show you all of them, but I do wanna show you two very important and powerful things that happen when we are born again. John chapter three, many of us know the most famous verse in the entire Bible, what is it? John 3.16, right? But many of us are not as aware the context of those words Jesus spoke. The context of John 3.16 is a conversation John 3 records for us between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And the conversation is about being born again. Now, in John 3 verse 3, Jesus makes a really powerful statement. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Of God. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. One of the most important things that happens when we are born again is our eyes are opened. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says that Satan, the lowercase g, God of this world, has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. I wish I could tell you that the way this goes is first God opens your eyes and then by faith, you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. I wish I could tell you that's how it happens. That's not how it happens. Ephesians 1.18 talks about our eyes of understanding being enlightened. But 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that the eyes of every unbeliever are blinded by Satan himself. 
Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, when Jesus starts using the phrase born again, Nicodemus with blind eyes. He loved Jesus. He respected Jesus. But he did not put his faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. And so his eyes were blind in this conversation. And that's why Nicodemus says, how can someone like me and my age and stage with my size go back into his mother's womb and be reborn, born again? But the reason he wasn't getting it is his eyes were blinded. Unfortunately, Nicodemus, at least what we see in the record, he never made a decision to put his faith, hope, and trust in Yeshua, the Messiah. The Bible says when we are born again, our eyes are open and we can see the kingdom of God. This kingdom is temporarily invisible, physically. It is spiritually visible, able to be perceived, but only by those whose eyes have been open, those who are born again. Now, the difficult part to kind of wrap your mind around is, even though the kingdom of God right now is temporarily invisible, it won't always be so. When Jesus comes again to reign with his followers, the kingdom of God will not just be spiritually perceived, it will also be physically perceived. Now, you might be saying, Preston, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I don't feel like I see the kingdom of God everywhere I go. How's that possible? Here's what I would say. Maybe the issue isn't your eyes. Maybe the issue is your heart. In the most famous sermon of all time, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says these words. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Maybe if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're having difficulty spiritually discerning the kingdom of God, maybe you come into this room and you don't sense the presence of God. Maybe the issue isn't your eyes. Maybe it's the heart. Let me say it like this. When the heart of a believer is kept pure, they will see God in ways others cannot and they will see God move in ways and places which others will not. Now here's the second incredible thing that happens when we're born again. We're given a new identity. John chapter one, verse 12. But to all who believed Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. The phrase born again literally means born from above. When we are born again, we are given new life. But that's not all. One of the best benefits of this new life is a new identity. And here is the foundation of every believer in Jesus of their life. They are a child of God. And we live in a world where people are grasping for identity. And they're trying to achieve so many different things just in the attempt to have some kind of specific identity that labels them. But you want to know one of the best parts about being given new life 
from Jesus. In God's kingdom, your identity is received, not achieved. He gives it. When we're born again, he doesn't just call us friend. He calls us son. He calls us daughter. When preachers preach, I think most people kind of expect to get to the end of the message and have some story told. Maybe it tugs on your heartstrings or maybe they, they want it to be like a Braveheart speech where everybody goes out, rah, you know. And as I've prayed about how to end this Resurrection Sunday message, about the life, death, burial, resurrection, and appearance to many of Jesus, the Son of God. Here's the most incredible thing I could come up with with my limited mind. My attempt to sum up this entire message, because statistics say that you will forget most of what I have said within less than six weeks. And so if you're going to forget everything I've said, my hope is you would remember these words that boil the entire message down. Jesus died to show his love for you. And Jesus got up so he could shower his love on you forever. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.